All right, hello everyone, and welcome to Under Further Review with Burke and Jen. I'm Burke. I'm Jen. And we are very excited to be with you for the first week where our podcast is actually posted on iTunes for your listening pleasure. Um, In light of that, we feel like we need to uh, start adding a disclaimer to our uh, our podcast. Although we are talking about legal issues and both of us are lawyers, um, none of the things that we say during this podcast should be taken as legal advice. Um, Although you would like us to be your lawyers, we are not. So um, with that in mind, I think we can... um, dive right into this week's uh, list of topics. Um, So I think the biggest uh, legal news this week for athletes and or celebrities would be the Derrick Rose civil trial for gang rape. Right. Um, It started, I want to say it started on Tuesday, but he was excused at least for the first two days because of preseason basketball with the Knicks. Um, And he arrived on Thursday, but he was 45 minutes late and walked in in the middle of uh, Jane Doe, uh, her examination, either, I think it was maybe her direct examinations, but still, it was, he walked in uh, as she was speaking. I have a lot of questions about the legal advice that Derek Rose is getting. Um, so one quick update from our um, last podcast was we'd kind of been speculating about whether there was a criminal investigation going on, because um, it was completely possible that um, Jane Doe hadn't actually pressed charges, um, so the police wouldn't have been involved. Um, as part of the motion practice um, where Jane Doe is trying to continue using, Jane Doe is a... Um, uh, Oh my God, why can I not think of the word when you use a fake name right like, now? Well, I'm thinking non de plume, but that's not <laughs> what you were thinking. Pseudonym, right? <laughs> yes, that, that would be one too. Oh boy. Um, so she can continue listing her name as Jane Doe or not using her actual name in court pleadings. Um, a uh, filing was submitted by the um, chief investigating officer, I think, um, for the LAPD, uh, which is looking into um, these allegations against Derek Rose uh, from a criminal uh, perspective. It doesn't, I mean, it says that there's a criminal investigation that's active and we don't really know how active it is considering that this event took place almost three years ago. Right. And I think there is some speculation that Jane Doe may not have um, sought to press charges to start with, but when Derek Rose's deposition testimony was released um, and it became very clear that he did not understand the meaning of the word consent, as it's used under California law. So it may have been those um, released snippets of his deposition that caused the police to start looking into this, since it, um, at least in in my humble opinion as not a police officer, makes it sound like uh, he definitely did something wrong here. So um, I believe that the judge reaffirmed his uh, decision to not allow Jane Doe to continue using Jane Doe in these proceedings. Um, but we do now know that there's a criminal investigation going on and, you know, something that I find kind of interesting here is that normally, like if you take like the OJ case, for example, there was a criminal case, but it didn't kick off until after the, I'm sorry, there was a civil case, but it didn't kick off until after the criminal case was wrapped up because there are kind of, uh, you have fewer protections as a defendant under civil law. Um, as with Derek Rose, he was forced by the, um, 
plaintiff to testify this week. This was not him being put on the stand by his own lawyers. He was called as a hostile witness. Um, and so anything you say in your civil trial can be used against you in a criminal proceeding, which is normally why, uh, you know, your lawyer would want the criminal thing to get wrapped up. So double jeopardy kicks in and um, whatever happens in the civil trial can't be brought up as part of your criminal that's correct. Proceeding. So, um, so Derek Rose was called as a hostile witness in the plaintiff's case in chief, uh, mostly because there was a fear, um, I believe, that Derek Rose would not be called as a witness at all um, if it was just left up to his attorney to call him as a witness. Um, certainly, he probably could have gotten the same information from the two other. I don't defendants in this case. So there was, you know, a question as to whether or not Derek Rose would ever be put on the stand. So in order to head that off, um, he was called by the plaintiff's attorney. So he started um, his examination on Friday and it will resume on Tuesday. Monday is a holiday for the court um, and for a lot of people, not for us, unfortunately, but for a lot of people. So um, his testimony will resume on Tuesday and he was ordered to return, even if that means missing another Knicks preseason game. Um, so the judge was not um, too taken by the fact that he has a job to do. Um, as most defendants normally appear in their own civil trials. Um, so one of the things that happened on Friday, I believe, was that so a lot of the testimony back and forth, uh, not only Jane Doe's testimony, but Derek Rose's testimony is about the text messages that have been were exchanged both that day and that evening. Um, and Rose's attorney called for a mistrial because he he alleges that the plaintiffs failed to reveal reveal a helpful text message to the defendants um, during the discovery process, and you have a duty to do that. Uh, the judge said that he would take it up on Tuesday morning. Who was the text to? Was she texting? Because I know there's been some talk about her texting friends. There was um, a text, a series of text messages that was alleged to be kind of like a bombshell in the case where she was saying she was suing somebody for money. Um, turned out she was talking about her old landlord, not Derek Rose, but uh, they, Derek Rose's lawyers made seem like she was talking about him. I couldn't tell exactly which, which text message was this supposedly helpful text message, um, but it seemed like it was one to Derek Rose. So doesn't Derek Rose have That's what text? I thought, too, um, but it just seemed to me, I mean, uh, this happened three years ago, so maybe he didn't think to keep his text or he sure. switched phones. I don't know. Athletes and their phones. Who knows what happened? <laughs> I have no comment about that. <laughs> Um, but, you know, talking about Derek Rose's attorney, um, I have some questions. So I'm not, neither one of us are um, criminal defense attorneys, but it certainly seems like maybe it's just a witness prep issue. Maybe Derek Rose is just used to things kind of going his way. So he's not concerned about, you know, getting ready for a deposition. Um, we have seen famous people who don't want to put preparation into things and then get embarrassed publicly. Um, but... At least as I understand it, the key material fact in this case is whether Jane Doe consented to um, having sex with Derek Rose and his two friends on the night in question. Correct. The only, you know, nobody denies that they had sex. It's whether she was okay with it or not. And so for him to be so unprepared in his deposition that his answer was basically, well, you know, we texted at some point earlier mm -hmm. in the evening, but he had 
no good answer, you know, as to what happened when we actually got to our apartment, you know, is it, I guess my thought is either it's an issue where his own attorney doesn't understand what consent means under California law. He did prep him in Derek Rose panicked or wasn't paying attention or he totally dropped the ball on the witness prep. But I don't understand how that happened. Uh, I think there's a fourth, uh, <laughs> fourth possible explanation. Sure. And I kind of can, I can kind of see it maybe in situations like this where you don't really have great client control. That's fair. <laughs> uh, because you have, I mean, I'm just thinking back to, I don't know if you saw any snippets of the Justin Bieber deposition. Yes. He was a flaming hot mess. Like, just the way that he was talking to people and the way he was answering questions. And yes, it could be any one of those reasons. Like, he wasn't prepared, he panicked, but I don't know. Maybe it's it's possibly the egos on people that don't allow the understanding that like, oh, this is not normal life for me. This is not where I can just walk into any club and be like put in the VIP section. And like, this is, this is different. So the way that I, in the eyes of the law. Yeah. yeah. Well, for the most part, I mean, but. it should be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will clarify, I was chuckling now because this is a funny story, but just, um, having had experiences with um, trouble controlling clients, it's a, I should have come up with that fourth reason on my own. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we deal with it a lot as well, and it's not, and certainly our clients are not the the celebrity or stature or whatever of people like Derek Rose. So it could be that, or he could have panicked, or he wasn't prepared. I mean, I, he seemed, at least from the accounts that I've read, he seemed to have done better on the stand. Like it wasn't quite to. I mean, he still, he assumed that she consented um, because she never said no. Which, pro tip folks, that's not consent under the law, so um, keep that in mind. Especially if she was in a state where she couldn't actually legally consent. Right, and I think they're still trying to nail down, um, because at some point he was texting her, she stopped responding to him. There's still no confirmation as to how these three guys got into her apartment, whether mm-hmm. she let them in or they broke, broke in. in. Yeah. Um, because I do think now I admit I'm not, I'm not a doctor, but I think it is possible for people to be blacked out. So they don't know what's going on, not able to remember, but they're mm-hmm. up and functioning. Um, so, um, so yeah, it'll be a little interesting. I don't know how much information we're going to continue to get out of the case since there's been a gag order issued by the the judge. But it sounds like there are still reporters who are able to yeah, um, there are reporters the yeah in the courtroom. So there is information coming out. Uh, the jury is made up of six women and two men, and it really does come down to interpreting the text messages and trying to determine whether or not there was consent. Um, has there been any discussion? I guess Derek Rose is really the deep pocket here. It sounds like he was the kind of the one with the pre-existing relationship mm-hmm. with her. But I guess um, I wonder if his co-defendants are taking this as laxly. Um, that's not a real word, but as <laughs> or not as concerned or showing as little concern about this as Derek Rose is since he's yeah. apparently still sleeping well at night. Yeah, I don't know. I'm you know to that point. Uh, Joaquin McCoy, who is Jane Doe's attorney, um, he's actually a San Francisco uh, plaintiff's attorney. Um, At some point he asked, or he made 
a statement. I'm sure it was in the form of a properly asked question, but whether or not Derek Rose had any remorse over what had happened. And he said no. And he followed that up by saying that he didn't think that he did anything wrong. So um, it is sort of the optics of the situation. And I really hate that phrase sometimes, but if you project the idea that things are fine, it's because you're very confident in your case and that you will prevail ultimately. And, um, but at the same time that can be seen as I'm not taking this seriously. This is, um, you know, I'm, I'm laughing in the face of this really very serious situation. And I think that, um, at some point on Thursday afternoon, when, Courted adjourned for the day. Um, some of the defendants and defendants' counsel had made a joke, so they were standing around laughing. And you know, it was right after Jane Doe's very teary uh, testimony. And you know, not to say that there aren't problems with her case too, because there were several. Um, they're trying to get at her character by saying that she was she's after him for money. I guess they had admitted a bunch of uh, text messages that she had shared with friends about, you know, uh, marrying someone who's rich or upgrading her TV and not necessarily related to Derek Rose, but to show like, this is what her mindset is. Um, and as to your point about how you can still sort of be blacked out, but somewhat functioning, there was a series of text messages that she exchanged with Derek Rose that she has no memory of. And they're basically trying to point out that like, look, these text messages are like articulate and it's like punctuated correctly. And it's, you know, are these the text messages of someone who is either been drugged or inebriated or, or what have you. So, um, and I think to get back to that comment about optics, um, one incident that happened during Jane Doe's cross-examination by Derek Rose's attorneys, um, she was sort of, she was crying, very upset, um, having to recount the events of this evening. Um, and Derek Rose's attorney asked that the judge uh, order her to stop crying, which the I believe the judge's response was, I've never done that before. That's like telling somebody to stop breathing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I guess there's a line between being a zealous advocate and then just looking like a jackass. Yeah, you know, if absolutely. You, if you're that concerned that her crying on the stand is going to hurt your case, um, you know, just say she would take a recess so she can collect herself, mm -hmm. um, you know, get her to stop crying in front of the jury, but to attack a crying woman, even if, you know, it's, you think it's the best thing for your client just seems like a huge mistake to me. It just, I don't know, makes it seem like he's just picking on this poor lady. Yeah. If his case is so good, why is he screaming at the crying woman? But well, that, <laughs> and I mean, to me, uh, Mike Bauda, I think is his mm -hmm. name, uh, the attorney for Derek Rose, he's actually the only talking representative of Derek Rose right now. I mean, for better or for worse. Right. And, you know, going back to how does this, how does this look for him as a professional? You have your attorney basically trying to order a judge or ask a judge to order a woman to stop crying. I mean, that, again, makes him look like a bully, doesn't make him come across very well. I mean, there's a professional way of handling this, as you said. And, um, you know, again, you can be confident in your case, but to, but to, con I don't know, to me, it just is like those brash criminal defense attorneys that you like see on TV advertised sometimes, not to say that he's one of those people, but it's just, 
I don't know. I probably would want someone who's a little more understated. Right. Okay. Like, even Kobe Bryant apologized. You know, and, I mean, I guess from that may have, that was probably after everything got settled. But, um, you know, even he was able to acknowledge that, you know, I didn't think I did anything around the time. Clearly, this woman does. Mm-hmm. And I'm really sorry for what she went through. I mean, it's kind of a non-apology, but it's still some acknowledgement of what happened. And, you know, I guess... In Derek Rose's defense, he's in the middle of a, um, a lawsuit right now, but mm-hmm. the callousness with which he and his legal team seem to be dealing with this is kind of disturbing to me, and it seems like it's not the best um, legal strategy, I guess I would put it yeah. that way. Um, well, it might be an effective legal strategy if it weren't Derek Rose, and it wasn't, like, in the LA Times and, like, in every newspaper and every sports magazine, you know, in the country every single day, you know? Sure. Um, because, and if you weren't playing for a new contract next year or that his sponsors are also watching this because they might want to say, yeah, we're going to end, like Adidas wants to end our sponsorship deal with Derek Rose because he's kind of acting like a jackass. Right. Or... His, his contract with Adidas for sure has a morals clause. Mm-hmm. Um, as reading, there are provisions of the, um, NBA Players Association CBA um, mm-hmm. collective bargaining agreement that would allow them to suspend him indefinitely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think Adam Silver has come down pretty hard on um, other athletes um, or other members of the NBA who've done things that are far less, I think, egregious than what Derrick Rose has done if they are proved true or if a jury finds in favor of the victim. So I would be shocked if he didn't act on it um, at mm-hmm. some point. Yeah, and and I think this all just because his attorney is, you know, acting the way he is doesn't mean that Derek Rose did anything wrong, but I think it all goes to painting a picture of a less than savory character. Mm-hmm. Um so that's our main story and, you know, the trial continues uh, as I said, he is going to resume his testimony on Tuesday morning. Um, and we'll see who else is going to be called by uh, Jane Dosai before Derek Rose and his two other co-defendants can um, put their case in chief on. So we will keep you apprised, because that's a pretty big sports story these days. Yes. So I think our next topic is probably uh, the biggest crime story in sort of uh, celebrity pop culture at the moment. Kim Kardashian West um, is, unless you've been living under a rock, you will know that she was robbed of about $10 million worth of jewelry from the um, Hotel No Address in Paris. Um, It has a French name that I can't pronounce and don't remember right now, but um, she was bound and gagged, locked in a bathroom um, after apparently the robbers came in. They could not speak English, except they were able to shout, where's the rapper's wife? And then got up to her room. Um, she saw them coming, attempted to grab her cell phone to call her bodyguard, who was out with her two sisters, Courtney Kardashian and Ky- uh, Kendall Jenner. Um, but they grabbed the phone out of her hand before she was able to complete the call. She um, Then they kept demanding, where's the ring? Ring, ring, ring. Oh, she has... I didn't realize that they were like targeting the ring. So... Um, this was reported on TMZ, which even though it is a trashy news outlet, it tends to be an accurate news outlet. Um, so she had been posting photos of herself with this enormous diamond ring that Kanye apparently bought her. Kanye West, her husband. The rapper. Um, the rapper <laughs> in question. Yes. Um, uh, posting these photos all over Instagram, all over Snapchat. Um, and so that, it's believed, 
um, not in any way to victim blame, but it's believed that's how the robbers knew that she had this expensive, enormous diamond in mm-hmm. her uh, in her hotel room in Paris. And so once she told them where to find the ring, they taped her mouth shut and stuck her in the bathroom. Um, they zip tie used like the plastic handcuffs to um, handcuff her hands together and bind her legs, I guess. She was apparently convinced she was either going to be raped or murdered, um, but one of her friends who was at the apartment with her but on a different floor heard a commotion, called for help. Oh, uh, I thought I had read this could have, I could be conflating this with something else, but she had gotten herself free from the plastic handcuffs and made her way out onto the balcony and started shouting for help. That could be. The most recent story uh-huh. I read is that her friend, who I believe is also her hairstylist, mm-hmm. was That's staying... That's very common. Jessica Simpson's best friend is also her hairstylist. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that must be... I always wish, like, my best friend would become, like, Oprah Winfrey, and I could even get all to her <laughs> Oprah, but that has not worked out. Not that she's not amazing. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> but whatever. Dare to dream. Anyway, um, so her friend, the hairdresser, was asleep, Her this noise going on. This was the most recent story I read that was, I think, reported in the LA Times. Mm. Um, she was able to call for help. Kim may also have, I, as you did, I also read that she was able to break free from her handcuffs. The story I read described as handcuffs, and I'm like, is she like free and Wonder Woman? Like, how did she get out of handcuffs and then realize they were probably just the zip tie type? Yeah, yeah. It's, Which uh, has since been confirmed. Um, and, um, one of the one of the sto- versions of the story that I read was how they got up into her room was uh, they had taken basically the night manager. There's very little security at this hotel, mostly because it does cater to celebrities, and you can't get to it. Like, there's no front door that you just walk into off the street. It is in a private courtyard, so um, you can only get there through like a like a car park access or. Um, you, you know, there's got to be a reason for you to get into the courtyard before you can get into this hotel. But apparently the night manager who's at the, the quote unquote front desk, he was handcuffed and he, they dragged him up to the room. And basically that's how they were led to her room with the night manager in tow. Um, just for the record, Tom Hiddleston's night manager never would have let this happen. <laughs> um, well, that's cause he's a John le Carre spy right, badass, spy right? Model. Yes. Okay. Um, they need more, I guess, uh, former or like MI5. MI6, whatever. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so Kim, they have not found the robbers yet. They have not recovered her jewelry. In addition to the ring, it sounds like there was, you know, multi-million dollars worth of um, additional jewelry that was stolen yeah. from her. She, um, Kanye West called short a uh, concert that he was in the middle of performing, like to the point that he announced he had to leave had a family emergency while the auto-tune was still on. So it's, I mean, it's horrible, but it's a little bit funny to hear him, like, saying, family emergency, I gotta go, but it's sounds like (laughs) T-Pain. And uh, she, Kim, immediately flew back to New York the next morning. Um, She's apparently deeply traumatized, which makes a lot of sense. Um, Not really leaving her home. They have stopped filming, keeping up with the Kardashians for the time being. She has... Stop posting anything on social media. There are um, estimates that she's losing a million dollars a month. By, oh, by not filming? By not filming and not um, kind of continuing on with the things that she advertises or oh. endorses mm-hmm. on her social media, um, through her social media empire, I guess. Um, but she is, uh, I guess, 
feels like it's partially her fault because she does post a lot on social media, um, kind of showing off all the beautiful things she owns. And frankly, there are a lot of people, including some folks who are allegedly her friends, who are saying the same thing. Um, Carl Lagerfeld, the fashion designer, you know, basically said, well, if you want to kind of flaunt all this wealth, you can't be surprised when people want to take it from you. And there is, you know, and yeah, people can want to take it from you, but that doesn't mean that being like bound and gagged and thrown into a bathroom is not traumatizing. Right. right. <laughs> um, and, you know, I guess I kind of feel like I have my qualms with the Kardashians, but, you know, you shouldn't have to live your life anticipating kind of the worst of the worst is going to happen to you. So yeah, would it maybe, maybe did she put herself at some risk by posting all this stuff all over, you know, Instagram and Snapchat where you could clearly tell where she was and mm-hmm. what hotel she was in and all that was happening in real time. Yeah, I guess. But at the same time to act like this is her fault, um, seems callous at least. Um, and hopefully she is recovering, and although I certainly don't miss the TV show, I hope she's back to her normal life sooner um, rather than later. Yeah, to be fair, though, like, this happened, what, last week? So she hasn't lost a million dollars a month yet. It's, like, she's losing $250,000 a week, so. Yeah. I mean, and we, we understand how that she is worth quite a bit more than that, so I think they'll be okay. Right, which is good for Kanye, since he's apparently $53 million in debt when he had his Twitter nerves break down back in yeah. the spring. Um, and I thought there was maybe some discussion that he would postpone the rest of the dates of his tour. I believe so. At least initially there was talk of he felt like he let this happen. He was feeling quite guilty, too. He didn't want to leave her alone. Um, she is, I guess, cry- I mean, sources say um, she's crying all the time. She tries not to cry in front of her kids, but she just oh. doesn't want to be alone. Um, and so it did sound like Kanye was going to postpone some dates on the St. Pablo tour mm-hmm. um, until she felt like she was feeling better, I guess. Um, so, uh, again, as Burke said, no, no, none of the suspects have been caught. Um, the security footage was apparently useless. Um, oh. they do have, I think I was reading, they have film of a blacked out limo pulling up in mm-hmm. front of the address, um, at some point between like two thirty and three o'clock in the morning. But then there are other reports that the robbers fled on bicycle from the scene. Um, so the little evidence they have has not been particularly helpful in identifying who did this. Yeah, and I'm I'm assuming that um, whoever will end up purchasing the giant diamond ring... Uh, <laughs> where, how, where, where the hell are they going to get rid of this stuff now? So, I mean, I, if I were... I think I've seen enough, like, Jason Bourne movies to say that basically you either will have someone who has purchased the whole ring and will either, like... Sorry to say, but, like, chop it up into, or, like, you know, cut it again to disguise it or something, um, because it is going to be very obvious that this would be the stone from Kim Kardashian's ring if it ever came up on the marketplace. Um, I'm assuming that someone will have, like, giant earrings and a smaller ring um, that'll just get chopped up, probably. Um, I also have to say, speaking of Jason Bourne movies, um, I am a huge action film fan and always thought that if um, somebody broke into my apartment, I could use my action film watching knowledge <laughs> to fight them off. So, gotta be honest, I was pretty impressed that Kim Kardashian was able to break free of her handcuffs mm-hmm. and get herself help. So, um, 
Although I was more impressed when I thought they were metal handcuffs, but nonetheless. Yeah, no, um, those are zip ties can be quite challenging. Yeah, especially if you can't move your feet and you have duct tape on your face. And yeah. You've been really yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the flight or fight instinct, right? Uh, I thought you were going to say that you would, like, beat the crap out of someone with a newspaper and a knife like Jason Bourne did in that first movie. But. I mean, that would be pretty great. My roommate and I, um, when we lived in New York, had a... We were not the best about moving our recycling down to the recycling bin, and so when someone walked in and was like, why do you have all these wine bottles lined <laughs> up? We said they were for weapons in case somebody broke in. Yeah. I thought that was very funny. <laughs> Um, so not to say that there's an easy way to transition from Kim Kardashian, but, um, I guess we have to, cause that's our job, right? Uh, so we said all that can be said about her robbery. Yeah. I don't know that there's, there is too much more to be said. The Carl Lagerfeld interview was pre- pretty interesting. If anyone wants to, to read the ramblings of a kind of insane man. Well, I think he's like supposed to be her friend. Yeah. I would be really upset if I got robbed and my friends were like, well, dummy, you kind of brought it on yourself, so I don't anticipate that she'll be doing much work with Carl Carl Lagerfeld in, in the, the near future. In the future. Well, he's still the most what powerful man in fashion these days. Like, I guess who's the guy? Isn't it Ballman? Who is the person? Well, uh, that's the fashion house, but whoever that's a, like the people uh, who um, collaborate with Kanye on the Yeezy oh. fashion line, which was not awesome <laughs> um anyone just google like yeezy and uh collapsing models they had them standing out on governor's island for like four hours in the middle of the day and some of them passed out it was, it was really sad and they're all like flesh-toned yeah yeah it was bad uh you have to remember to bend at the knees to keep from passing out from standing oh, yes good to know people who lock their knees uh tend to go down like pile of bricks it's pretty hilarious um, so I guess the other celebrity legal news, uh, this week is, uh, Anton Yelchin's parents, uh, have, have filed a wrongful death suit, um, in his death by asphyxiation. So several months ago, uh, Anton Yelchin, uh, was killed in his driveway when his, uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee, excuse me, rolled and, uh, basically pinned him against a fence. Uh, he was, you know, he's at the time it was right when this new Star Trek movie was being promoted. Um, and this, uh, you know, he was 27 and people felt like he was, uh, killed way before his time or died way before his time. No one is actually killed on time. That's a horrible thing. Um, but so his parents filed a wrongful death suit against Fiat Chrysler Automotive, um, AutoNation and the Jeep dealership that sold Anton Yelchin his car. Um, AutoNation has since been dismissed from the suit because they did not own the dealership at the time that the car was sold. Um, so, so far, it's just Fiat Chrysler Automotive and um, the Valencia, Jeep. Uh, Chrysler Jeep Dodge. Oh, in Valencia, California, yeah, are left in the suit. Um, And the reason why this is sort of bubbling up to the surface is because Valencia, Dodge, Chrysler, blah, blah, blah. Are trying to blame Anton Yelchin for his own death. Um, So an important fact here is that the Jeep that killed Anton Yelchin had been recalled um, in 2016 due to a um, problem with the gear shift where you would put it into park, but the car, it would look like it was in park, but the car was not, in fact, in park. It was mm-hmm. actually, I think, in neutral, which would cause it to roll, as yeah. anyone who has driven a car um, would realize. And 
the um, I think it's the the theory of the case that the car was defective. He thought he put the car in park, mm-hmm. was not parked, park and rolled backwards and ran over him. Well, crushed him. Um, the Jeep dealership is alleging that it was actually Anton Yelchin's misuse of the vehicle that caused his own death. Um, they have said that his death was the result of misuse, misapplication, or damage of the product, or modification, repair, and or maintenance of the product involved, um, meaning that it was not the dealership's fault that he was killed. Uh, correct. And this actually comes on the heels of a class action suit that was filed against Fiat Chrysler Automotive. Three plaintiffs in actually like located in California, Ohio, and I think I want to say Pennsylvania, um, have filed a class action uh, related to this faulty gear shift. Actually, it's not a fault in the gear shift engineering. It's actually a fault in the gear shift design. The design is defective, according to this suit. Um, and this gear shift and the vehicles that have this gear shift have been linked to about 212 crashes, resulting in about 41 injuries. Um, so I think it's a, and you know, as Burke said, like Anton Yelchin's Jeep was recalled, but it was one of 1.1 million vehicles that were recalled because of this gear shift design. So, um, I, you know, to talk about gear shift design, just to put on my, um, automotive nerdiness hat for a bit. So in most cars, when you shift your, in an automatic gearbox, when you shift, you can actually move the the shift handle to, from park to drive to neutral to reverse or whatever, whatever order it's in in your car, and it actually moves. But uh, cars these days have really fancy uh, gadgets attached to them. So this is, this is one in which you actually, you can move the gear shift, but the position does not actually like it doesn't land in a different position to denote that you're in neutral or that you're in drive or that you're in burst. It actually, you can move it, but then it always goes back to its default as this like central neutral position. So you can't actually tell by looking at your gear shift. If you're in a gear, you, it's probably illuminated somewhere on your dash or on the gear shift itself. But just by looking at the position of the gear shift knob, you can't tell if you're um, in a particular gear and that was the problem so that drivers aren't necessarily informed as to the selection that they've made in a I guess in a clear abundantly clear way Um, so in the suit in the class action suit basically they're accusing like Fiat Chrysler being somewhat negligent because this gear shift design and has been used in other model vehicles like BMWs have the same or similar gear shift but uh, if the door is open and I think if the door is open, it actually will shift it into park for you. So you know that it's in park. You can't leave it in neutral. Oh, so, so there are ways in which this gear shift can be effectively and non harmfully used, but just not in, uh, in these Jeeps. So, uh, I'm taking my auto nerdiness hat off now so we can get back to talking about the law. So in any event, that's, um, I do find the cars where you just have to hit a button to put it in park really alarming. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I want to feel like I pushed it into park. It mm-hmm. makes me feel more secure oh. about the car actually being in park. And for some reason, um, like, or even pulling up on the emergency brake or the parking right. brake or stepping on one and engaging one is yeah. far more reassuring than hitting a button. a button. Yeah. My car has the button emergency brake, but not the button park. Okay. Um, but yeah, I yeah. can't. I've had my car for 
three three years now, and I still can't remember which direction I'm supposed to hit the emergency brake. I have to wait for the light to light up. It's probably not saying anything good about me and my driving skills, but my car hasn't rolled down a hill yet, and I live in a very hilly town, so mm-hmm. I guess it's... Yeah, so you, yeah, I mean, I, you're being cautious. That's probably wise. I try. Um, so... Anyway, at this point, Anton Yelchin's uh, parents' attorneys have not made any statements um, with respect to the dealership's motion to have the whole lawsuit, or at least with respect to them, um, dismissed with prejudice, meaning that um, if it's dismissed with with prejudice, they, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Yelchin would not be able to refile the lawsuit against Valencia, um, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge. Um, and the lawsuit was filed about two months ago. I'm not sure when we're anticipating getting a, um, kind of response from the court on this issue, but, um, I expect it'll, the lawsuit would still move forward with respect to Fiat Chrysler, Mm -hmm. um, the parent company that made the car in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, there will be a lot more related to that, I'm sure in, uh, the coming months, but it does take, some time you file the complaint and the other party files an answer or a demur, most likely a demur, and that's got to be heard. And yeah, it's it's a very lengthy process. It's not. Um, and there aren't the same guarantees for speedy trials when you're talking about civil trials. Mm-hmm. Criminal cases take precedent, so that can kind of slow things down even further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think um, we can. Those were really the three main stories that we wanted to talk about this week. Uh, For our three-minute warning, um, I really quickly just wanted to touch on Cam Newton, who is being sued by a uh, rental agency. Not the – it doesn't sound like maybe the rental agency owns the property. Um, But in any event, he rented a house, an $11 million house in Beverly Hills for about two months. Um, In the off-season, he was out there filming a show for – I don't want to say Nickelodeon, but that's what's coming to mind right now. Um, So he was in Beverly Hills filming a show. He was out there for two months. He paid about $123,000 in rent for those two months. Um, And as part of the rental agreement, Cam Newton agreed to no parties, no smoking, and not having more than eight guests at a time. So according to the housekeeper, he had parties and he did smoke. Um, I don't know if he had more than eight people at a time or if he just partied with like seven people, but, um, he doesn't sound like a real rule follower. So I would <laughs> guess he had more than eight people. <laughs> That's it's, And he caused about $90,000 worth of damage to this rental property. Uh, according to the rental property, um, managers or, uh, whoever they are, um, he broke a very expensive refrigerator. He caused, um, significant water damage. He ruined some linens. And I think the biggest ticket item was he destroyed a $32,000 rug. Maybe I just haven't like lived enough, but how do you break a refrigerator? Like, could you, I guess you could rip the door off, but like short of physically. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, what did he do to the refrigerator? Yeah, I don't know if you, like, leave the door open too much and the motor burns out. That's oh, probably maybe. the other way. But I would imagine that that probably isn't something that happens as frequently. I don't know how you break a refrigerator. Huh. It, although, you know, to be fair, like, he's a big dude. And, you know, maybe refrigerators are not solidly made. Like, a big dude hanging off a refrigerator door. Like, even, like, leaning on it could, like, damage it somehow. I'm not sure. That's definitely possible. Um 
So, I mean, part of me was expecting to hear that he had just damaged it with his terrible, terrible taste <laughs> in light of that really ugly leather patchwork shirt, top hat, and extremely round, like, clockwork orange glasses he was yeah, wearing. Yeah, I, I thought it was a monocle week. for a second, and then I was like, oh, no, it's actually, no, he's, yeah. I guess, was it a monocle and clockwork orange? No, I can't remember. It was a, I think it was a monocle. I think it was. Yeah. Just very round. That's what it reminded me of in any event. Um... It, that was a horror show of an outfit. Yeah, Katie Nolan of uh, Fox Sports 1 tried to recreate that outfit. <laughs> it looked a lot better on her than it did on him. Um, but, yeah. I, oh. uh, so, they, um, I guess they asked him to cover the damage, like the $90,000. He never responded. He didn't pay. So, it took about two months to fix the damage. And so... The, they're suing Cam Newton for $270,000 total, which includes the damage and the lost revenue from rent during the time that it took for the the house to be repaired. So, uh, so far, can't, neither Cam Newton nor the Carolina Panthers have commented on the suit. And he broke a toilet, too, right? Yeah. That was yeah. the grossest part of the story. You know, every time they say broken toilet, it's just, I just want to take, like, five steps back and turn and run, because it's just, it's just too disgusting. Um, so I guess, I mean, I guess you could just pay it and be done with it, but it doesn't sound like he's in the mood for acknowledging that he's done anything wrong to yeah. his house. Well, exactly. And, and considering like if he had just paid it at the time that it happened, it would have only cost him $90,000 instead of $270,000 now. And I sort of feel, and this is maybe part of like a good strategy for lawsuits, like as a, compared to what's happening in the Derrick Rose lawsuit, the property company is not going after him for like a million dollars, right? They're not going after him for an excessive amount of money. They're basically saying, this is how much damage was caused. We lost this rent. We just want to be compensated for, for these losses that we can actually like itemize and bill. And so to me, as just an outside spectator, it seems really reasonable. And it, and I hate to, I'm not a jury member here or don't want to prejudge, but it seems to me that it more likely than not actually happened as opposed to someone with an ulterior motive. Right. And I guess we haven't, at least I have not studied the, the pleadings closely enough to understand where, how Jane Doe got to her $21.5 million number. And I guess it's harder to put a dollar value on, um, you know, harm to your mental and physical health um, than property. So, you know, that's, I think that's like a, that's a challenge that she's probably facing that it's a little easier to get around when you've got just property damage, but those numbers are eye popping, right? So Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like it's hard to make an argument that she's just kind of coming after him for the money. That's true. And actually, as soon as I finished saying that sentence, I realized that that's what you would think that I was <laughs> meant. But I actually meant from Derek Rose's perspective of how his legal team is handling things. Sure. So it's not, you know, so that's what I actually meant. I didn't mean to say that, like, her $21.5 million makes me think of her as a gold digger as opposed to a victim who's seeking recompense for something you actually can't compensate someone for. So I didn't mean that. And as soon as I finished talking, I was like, oh, this is what people will hear. And that's not what I meant. It's actually just the legal strategy sure. of, um, of deciding, like, 
you know, how you're framing things as opposed to, you know, and how that looks. Right. And frankly, the people who are suing Cam Newton could say, you know, uh, they could have come up with some, like, cockamamie damages that they uh-huh. wanted to go after him mm-hmm. for, which you would look at and be like, well, what? why are you suing him mm-hmm. for this? Like, this is crazy. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I agree with you. I think when you're talking, definitely when you're talking about, like, property issues, there are mm-hmm. ways to put multipliers on that damage whether it's through saying, like, not just that we had to pay to get, like, a bathroom fixed and buy a new refrigerator, mm-hmm. but we lost rent for three months, or, you know, um, I guess there are other ways that you could kind of enhance mm-hmm. your damages, but they're still sort of at least tangentially related to the actual, like, mm-hmm. harm that you can prove. Yeah. Um, so it does seem like a like a good move by them to have not gone after him just for the sake of seeing a deep pocket. Yeah, and exactly. Being annoyed and... that he won't respond mm-hmm. to him what appear to be quite reasonable requests, assuming he actually committed all this damage. Yeah, and that's what I sort of meant by that, which is, um, you know, to the casual observer, the fact that the rental company wasn't going after him for maybe what people would say is an excessive amount of money, but a reasonable amount of money, considering that this is an $11 million property, that it just seemed like, oh, well, Cam Newton, why didn't you just pay to have it fixed and right. move on? And yeah, you could have purchased a lot more top hats for $90,000, but really, dude, you only need one, so. Yeah. And it, I mean, it is an interesting issue, the idea of how much you're looking for in damages. I think going back to a story that we talked about earlier in the year, um, Erin Andrews, when she sued Marriott mm -hmm. and um, a variety of other defendants uh, based on the peeping Tom incident that happened with her, I think she was awarded like $55 million in damages. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when you're talking about something that's not, like it's not a broken car or a messed up house, like how do you put a value on somebody's life Mm -hmm. and what they've gone through? Um, And I think, not to circle back to talk about Derek Rose again, but that's some of the claims that the um, that Jane Doe is making, I believe it's a loss of consortium claim, um, the make up a significant part of her damage claim, and the defense is using that particular issue to try and get in a bunch of information about her sexual history and um, what she may have done subsequent to Derek Rose's alleged um, rape of her along with his two friends. Um, to say that, you know, she didn't really suffer any damages. So why is she asking for all this money? Um, so for people who are listening to us who are not attorneys, would you want to explain the uh, loss of consortium claim and why that is maybe one of her main uh, claims for damages? Or not why it's one of her main claims of damages, but what it means in terms of, um, you know, for someone, you know, people tend to understand what emotional damages are or, um even punitive damages, you know, damages to punish, but consortium is not one of those ones that, uh, you know, comes up on law and order all that frequently. Right. And so, you know, what, just looking at the, uh, the law for loss of consortium, um, what I'm kind of not understanding is that it appears that you have to be married at the time that you have, you assert you had a loss of consortium claim. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Jane Doe. No, they weren't married. married and that's, to anyone. Yes, um, and that's actually one of the one of the things that um, she was questioned quite heavily on on cross examination, which is even though she and Derek Rose were dating at the time, they weren't. 
they were trying to characterize their relationship as super casual because I think it came out in the testimony that Derek Rose had never gone to her house in the entire time that they were supposedly seeing each other, and she had never gone to any of his NBA games, which you assume that, like, girlfriends of NBA players would go to games or whatever, um, so that they wanted to characterize it not as a relationship, but as a friends with benefits situation. So that's, um, that's where a lot of that other weird testimony came in during um, her cross-examination. So, uh, but I think it's a good job when we circle back around and and make our podcast come full circle. The only other thing that I really wanted to touch upon very quickly, um, and this is for purely selfish reasons, is that I just wanted to say how much I respect and appreciate that Steve Kerr is the state uh, Golden State Warriors basketball coach. Um, he recently came out with some statements during interviews because obviously basketball season is starting and he was asked about Colin Kaepernick and Colin Kaepernick's nonviolent protests. And he spoke about it, um, I guess at media day for the Warriors and also at length um, on Zach Lowe's podcast. And, you know, and I think the main headline quote um, that's come out of those statements of Steve Kerr's is that um, in light of, you know, it's not about how Colin Kaepernick is protesting. It's not whether he's right or he's wrong. It's about the fact that we should all be disgusted by what's going on in society today. And um, and I always feel that, like, he says the right things and he says things in the right way when he talks about, like, basketball and non-basketball issues. Um, so if you do have some time, you know, Check out Zach Lowe's uh, interview with him. I think it came out like a week ago. Um, and it, you know, delves into a lot of, um, you know, root causes for police violence in America these days and and what he and the Warriors organization, you know, what role they want to play in, in having this dialogue. But I've been in love with Steve Kerr since I was in middle school. I really hate to admit, but... Uh, you know, was a huge basketball fan growing up. So um, I was a little bit in love with him then. I'm a lot more in love with him now. And he's, um, I think, come out and had some pretty strong statements about gun control, having mm-hmm. lost his father to gun violence. Yeah, um, absolutely. I believe it was in Beirut, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. um, I think he's a great ambassador for the Warriors uh, specifically and humanity in yeah, general. absolutely. Um, Greg Popovich also, I know, a uh, big rival of the Warriors, but um, the Spurs coach also, I think, had some really great and productive mm-hmm. things to say about um, Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, sort of getting at systemic racism in our country mm-hmm. and having a productive conversation as opposed to just kind of digging into positions and fighting over them. So. Yeah. Um, and in that interview with Zach Lowe, Steve Kerr does talk about uh, Pop's, Pop's statements that he made um, in reference to those things. So um, I know that uh, Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich have a very long standing relationship, not only because he played for him and, um, and he respects him greatly. So anyways, I'm pretty excited that the Warrior season's starting soon. Um, that's all for me. Well, and I, um, maybe we should have swapped these topics out, but uh, just jump from somebody that we love to somebody that I certainly don't love, Joe Buck. Oh, that's right. Joe Buck. Um, so just to give some context, I'm a huge Red Sox fan. Joe Buck, in spite of the fact that he is a national baseball uh, commentator, is a uh, died in the wool St. Louis Cardinals fan and real annoying to listen to on Fox 
just I, I don't particularly appreciate him or his thoughts or his commentary or his voice. <laughs> Come to find out that he um, almost lost his career back in 2011 when his vocal cord was paralyzed after being intubated for like over six hours while he was having hair plugs put in. He says he is addicted to hair plugs. That's a really weird thing to be addicted to. I guess to. you can be addicted to anything. Yeah, I guess so. And not to mock addiction, because I know it's an illness that a lot of people struggle with, but of all things to be addicted to, having other human beings' hair sewn into your own head, <laughs> I just, I can't, I can't arouse that much sympathy for um, Mr. Buck. I guess I'm glad he didn't totally lose use of his vocal cords because I wouldn't wish career-ending injury on anybody, um, but um, if they had at least like knocked him down a notch so I didn't have to see him <laughs> on nationally televised games, that would have been great. But um, anyway, that was just oh. a very weird that, story that broke. I thought it was a really odd story. I mean, because I guess he his memoirs, his biogra- autobiography is coming out. Is that how it came to light? Or did he want to speak out on like the dangers of hair plug addiction? I mean, what was... He, it was in a Sports Illustrated interview. I'm um, not sure why Sports Illustrated was interviewing him at this time. He has apparently had eight, eight hair transplant surgeries since 1993. Um, and he woke up from this latest surgery not able to talk at all. Okay, because... But he can talk now. Yeah, no, we hear him a lot. No. <laughs> um, I, so the last time I saw Joe Buck on my television, I think it was last Sunday... And I can't say that he had a head of lusciously thick hair. No, like what? Do hair plugs like fall out at some point? I, I thought they were permanent. Why does he have to keep getting? Yeah, I don't know. More hair plugs. I would... If there's any hair plug expert out there listening to us, please <laughs> send us an email at um, underfurtherreview.bg at gmail.com. Um, yeah, well, I was thinking that he kept getting more hair plugs because he kept losing hair in other parts of his head, oh, right? Be. Yeah. So, as the men in blazers would say, you know, there's danger in, like, sector 3.2 or whatever. Um, so maybe that's why he kept getting them. But I would assume that if you implant something in your body, it stays there until you purposefully take it out, right? One would certainly think. Yeah. Um, I do have a friend who had hair implants and then had them removed. Oh. It was very jarring because he did not announce before he did it, and then all of a sudden I'd only known him with hair plugs, oh. mm-hmm. and then he should have didn't have them anymore. Oh. And I did not feel like it was appropriate to ask him where they went or how to get rid of them. <laughs> oh, okay. So, because my first question to you is, why did he get rid of them? But I think it was like, I mean, maybe some people have like great hair plugs, and you can't tell that they're um, oh. mm-hmm. not real. Um, his were kind of obvious, mm. I guess. I don't know. Maybe they take a lot of maintenance. I'm really not that familiar okay. with hair plugs. Okay. Um, I wouldn't have known that Joe Buck had hair plugs. I just thought he was like a, you know, his hairline was receding. Yeah, like just most, adult most men. middle-aged men. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Weird. Um, so I guess it would be a good time to say that uh, you can email us at underfurtherreview.bg at gmail.com or visit our website at underfurtherreview.com dash bg.com uh we our podcasts are located there and we blog sometimes about um other issues that we don't have time to talk about uh on our podcast which would you would think is weird because we control how long these podcasts are and so we would be able to talk about them but 
anyways, we do have a blog there as well. Um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at uh, UFR underscore BG. Excellent. So that's how you can find us. Um, you know, please send an email, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. We're going to hopefully put our uh, podcast up on Stitcher for all of the Android based people in our lives. Um, but otherwise I think that's pretty much our self promotion. I think so. If you like pictures of dogs, definitely follow us on Instagram. <laughs> it's mostly, um, our podcast mascot also known as my dog, Rufio. Excellent. So, um, thanks everyone for listening, and um, we're going to be taking a couple-week hiatus while Genevieve goes off to Hobbitland, um, but we should be back at the end of the month, where hopefully there'll be some more badly behaving athletes yeah, and celebrities. exactly. I'm sure there will be much more Derek Rose news to talk about. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.